Sojourn, Chapter 19, Separate Ways Eight days had done nothing to ease the pain in Tephanus's foot. The sprite ambled about as best he could, but whenever he broke into a sprint, he inevitably veered to one side and more often than not crashed into a brush or worse, the unbending trunk of a tree. Will you please quit growling at me, stupid dog? Tephanus snapped at the yellow canine he'd been with since the day after the battle. Neither had become comfortable around the other. Tephanus had lamented that this ugly mutt was in no way akin to Karak. But Karak was dead. The quickling had found the winter wolf's torn body. Another companion gone, and now the sprite was alone again. Alone except for you, stupid dog! He lamented. The dog bared its teeth and growled. Tiphanus wanted to slice its throat, wanted to run up and down the length of the mangy animal, cutting and slashing at every inch. He saw the sun riding low in the sky, though, and knew that the beast might soon prove valuable. Time for me to go! The quickling spouted. Faster than the dog could react, Tiphanus started by it, grabbed a rope he had hung around the dog's neck, and zipped three complete circuits around a nearby tree. The dog went after him, but Tephanus easily kept out of its reach until the leash snapped taut, flipping the dog right over. Be back soon, you stupid thing! Tephanus sped along the mountain paths, knowing that this night might be his last chance. The lights of Maldabar burned in the far distance, but it was a different light, a campfire that guided this quickling. He came upon the small camp just a few minutes later, glad to see that the elf was not around. He found Roddy McGristle sitting at the base of a huge tree, his arms pulled behind him and tied at the wrists around a trunk. The mountain man seemed a wretched thing, as wretched as the dog, but Tephanus was out of options. Ulgulu and Kemfana were dead. Karak was dead. And Grawl, after the disaster at the grove, had actually placed a bounty on the quickling's head. That left only Roddy. Not much of a choice, but Tephanus had no desire to survive on his own ever again. He sped unnoticed to the back of the tree and whispered in the mountain man's ear, You will be in Maldabar tomorrow. Roddy froze at the unexpected squeaky voice. You will be in Maldabar tomorrow. Tiphanus said again, as slowly as he could. Go away. Roddy growled at him, thinking that the sprite was teasing him. You should be kinder to me. Oh, you should. Tiphanus snapped right back. The elf means to imprison you, you know, for crimes against the blind ranger. Shut your mouth! McGristle growled, louder than he had intended to. What are you about? Came Kalendal's call from not so far away. There, you've done it now, you silly man! Tiphanus whispered. I told you to go away, Roddy replied. I might, and then where would you be? In prison? Tiphanus said angrily. I can help you now! If you want my help. Roddy was beginning to understand. Untie me hands, he ordered. They're already untied, Tephanus replied, and Roddy found the sprite's words to be true. He started to rise, but changed his mind abruptly as Kalendal entered the camp. Keep still, Tephanus advised. I will distract your captor. Tephanus had moved as he spoke the words, and Roddy heard only an unintelligible murmur. He kept his hands behind him, though, seeing no other course available with the heavily armored elf approaching. "'Our last night on the road,' Kalendal remarked, dropping by the fire the coney he had shot for the meal. He moved in front of Roddy and bent low. "'I will send for Lady Falconhan once we have arrived in Maldabar.' 
he said. She names Montelio de Bruschi as a friend and will be interested to learn of the events of the grove. What do you know? Roddy spat at him. The ranger was a friend of mine, too. If you are a friend of Orc King Grawl, then you are no friend of the ranger of the grove, Kalendal retorted. Roddy had no immediate rebuttal, but Tefanis supplied one. A buzzing noise came from behind the elf, and Kalendal, dropping a hand to his sword, spun about. What manner of being are you? He asked quickly, his eyes wide in amazement. Kalendal never learned the answer. Ferrati came up suddenly behind him and slammed him to the ground. Kalendal was a seasoned fighter, but in close he was no match for the sheer brawn of Roddy McGristle. Roddy's huge and dirty hands closed on the slender elf's throat. "'I have your dog,' Tifana said to Roddy when the foul business was done. "'Tied it to a tree!' "'Who are you?' Roddy asked, trying to hide his elation both for his freedom and for the knowledge that his dog had still lived. And what do you want with me? I am a little thing. You can see that to be true, Tifanis explained. I like keeping big friends. Roddy considered the offer for a moment. Well, you've earned it, he said with a laugh. He found Bleeder, his trusted axe, among the dead elf's belongings, and rose up huge and grim-faced. Come on, then. Let's get back to the mountains. I've a drowl to deal with. A sour expression crossed the quickling's delicate features, but Tefanis hid it before Roddy could notice. Tefanis had no desire to go anywhere near the blind ranger's grove. Aside from the fact that the Orc King had placed a bounty on his head, he knew that the other elves might get suspicious if Roddy showed up without Kalendal. More than that, Tefanis found that the pain in his head and foot even more acute at the mere thought of facing the dark elf again. No! The sprite blurted. Roddy, not used to being disobeyed, eyed him dangerously. No need, Tifanis lied. The drow is dead, killed by a warg. Roddy didn't seem convinced. I led you to the drow once, Tifanis reminded him. Truly, Roddy was disappointed, but he no longer doubted the quickling. If it hadn't been for Tifanis, Roddy knew, he never would have located Drizzt. He would be more than a hundred miles away, sniffing around Morume's cave and spending all of his gold on dragon lies. "'What about the blind ranger?' Roddy asked. "'He lives, but let him live,' Tifanis replied. "'Many powerful friends have joined him.' He led Roddy's gaze to Kalendal's body. "'Elves! Many elves!' Roddy nodded his assent. He had no real grudge against Mushi and had no desire to kill Kalendal's kin. They buried Kalendal and all of the supplies they couldn't take with them, found Roddy's dog— and set out later that same night for the wide lands to the west. Back at Mushi's Grove, the summer passed peacefully and productively, with Drizzt coming into the ways and methods of a ranger even more easily than optimistic Montelio had believed. Drizzt learned the name of every tree or bush in the region, and every animal, and more importantly, he learned how to learn how to observe the clues that Myliki gave him. When he came upon an animal that he had not encountered before, he found that simply by watching its movements and actions he could quickly discern its intent, demeanor, and mood. Go and feel its coat, Montelio whispered to him one day in the gray and blustery twilight. The old ranger pointed across a field to the tree line and the white flickering of a deer's tail. Even in the dim light, 
Drizzt had trouble seeing the deer, but he sensed its presence, as Montalio obviously had. "'Will it let me?' Driz whispered back. Montalio smiled and shrugged. Driz crept out silently and carefully, following the shadows along the edge of the meadow. He chose a northern downward approach, but to go north of the deer, he had to come around from the east. He knew his error when he was two dozen yards away from the deer. It lifted its head suddenly, sniffed, and flicked its white tail. Drizzt froze and waited for a long moment while the deer resumed its grazing. The skittish creature was on the alert now. As soon as Drizzt took another measured step, the deer bolted away. But not before Montalio, taking the southern approach, had gotten close enough to pat the rump as it ran past. Drizzt blinked in amazement. The wind favored me, he protested to the smug ranger. Montalio shook his head. Only over the last twenty yards, when you came north of the deer, he explained, west was better than east until then. But you could not get north of the deer from the west, Drizzt said. I did not have to, Montalio replied. There's a high bluff back there, he pointed to the south. It cuts the wind at this angle, swells it back around. I did not know. You have to know, Montalio said lightly. That is the trick of it. You have to see as a bird might and look down upon the region before you choose your course. I have not learned to fly, Driz replied sarcastically. Nor have I, roared the old ranger. Look above you. Driz squinted as he turned his eyes into the gray sky. He made out a solitary form gliding easily with great wings held wide to catch the breeze. A hawk, the drow said. Rolled the breeze from the south, Montalio explained, then banked west on the breaking currents around the bluff. If you'd observed its flight, you may have suspected the change in its terrain. That is impossible, Drizzt said helplessly. Is it? Montalio asked, and he started away to hide his smile. Of course, the drow was correct. One could not tell the topography of the terrain by the flight patterns of a hawk. Montalio had learned of the shifting winds from a certain sneaky owl who had slipped in at the ranger's bidding right after Drizzt had started out across the meadow. But Drizzt did not have to know that. Let the drow consider the fib for a while, the old ranger decided. The contemplation, recounting all that he had learned, would be a valuable lesson. Hooter told you, Drizzt said a half hour later, on the trail back to the grove. Hooter told you of the wind and told you of the hawk. You seem sure of yourself. I am, Drizzt said firmly. The hawk did not cry. I've become aware enough to know that. You could not see the bird, and I know that you did not hear the rush of wind over its wings, whatever you may say. Montalio's laughter brought a smile of confirmation to the drow's face. You have done well this day, the old ranger said. I did not get near the deer, Drizzt reminded him. That was not the test, Montalia replied. You trusted in your knowledge to dispute my claims. You are sure of your lessons that you have learned. Now, here's some more. Let me tell you a few tricks when approaching a skittish deer. They talked all the way back to the grove and far into the night after that. Drizzt listened eagerly absorbing every word as he was let in on still more of the world's wondrous secrets. 
A week later, in a different field, Driz placed one hand on the rump of a doe and another on the rump of a speckled-coated fawn. Both animals lit out at the unexpected touch, but Montalio saw Driz smile from a hundred yards away. Driz's lessons were far from complete when the summer waned, but Montalio no longer spent much time instructing the drow. Driz had learned enough to go out and learn on his own, listening and watching the quiet voices and subtle signs of the trees and the animals. So caught up was Driz in his unending revelations that he hardly noticed the profound changes in Montalio. The ranger felt much older now. His back would hardly straighten on chill mornings, and his hands often went numb. Montalio remained stoic about it all, hardly one for self-pity, and hardly lamenting what he knew was to come. He had lived long and fully, had accomplished much, and experienced life more vividly than most men ever would. "'What are your plans?' he said unexpectedly to Drizzt one night as they ate dinner, a vegetable stew that Drizzt had concocted. The question hit Drizzt hard. He had no plans beyond the present, and why should he? With life so easy and enjoyable, more so than it had ever been for the beleaguered drow renegade, Drizzt really didn't want to think about the question. So, he threw a biscuit at Gwenhyver to change the subject. The panther was getting a bit too comfortable on Drizzt's bedroll, wrapping up in the blankets to the point where Driz worried that the only way to get Gwenhyver out of the tangle would be to send it back to the astral plane. Montalio was persistent. "'What are your plans, Driz Duarden?' The old ranger said again firmly, "'Where and how will you live?' "'Are you throwing me out?' Drizd asked. "'Of course not!' "'Then I will live with you,' Driz replied calmly. "'I mean after,' Montalio said, growing frustrated. "'After what?' Drizd asked, thinking that Mushi knew something he did not. Montalio's laughter mocked his suspicions. <laughs> "'I'm an old man,' the ranger explained, "'and you are a young elf.' I'm older than you, but even if I were a babe, your years would far outdistance my own. Where will Drizduarden go when Montalio de Brucci is no more? Driz turned away. I do not, he began tentatively. I will stay here. No, Montalio replied soberly. You have much more before you than this, I hope. This life would not do. It has suited you, Driz snapped back, more forcefully than he had intended. For five years, Montalio said calmly, taking no offense. Five years after a life of adventure and excitement. My life has not been so quiet, Driz reminded him. But you are still a child, Montalio said. Five years is not five hundred, and five hundred is what you have remaining. Promise me now that you will reconsider your course when I am no more. There is a wide world out there, my friend, full of pain, but filled with joy as well. The former keeps you on the path of growth, and the latter makes the journey tolerable. Promise me now, Montalio said, that when Mushi is no more, Drizzt will go and find his place. Drizzt wanted to argue, to ask the ranger how he was so certain that this grove was not Drizzt's place. 
A mental scale dipped and leveled, then dipped again within Drizzt at that moment. He weighed the memories of Maldabar, the farmer's deaths and all the memories before that on the trials he'd faced and the evils that had so persistently followed him. Against this, Drizzt considered his heartfelt desire to go back out into the world. How many other Mushis might he find? How many friends? And how empty would this grove be when he and Gwenhyver had it to themselves? Montelio accepted the silence, knowing the drow's confusion. Promise me that when the time is upon you, you will at least consider what I have said. Trusting in Drizzt, Montelio did not have to see his friends affirming not. The first snow came early that year, just a light dusting from broken clouds that played hide-and-seek with the full moon. Drizzt, out with Gwenhyber, reveled in the seasonal change, enjoying the reaffirmation of the endless cycle. He was in high spirits when he bounded back to the grove, shaking the snow from the thick pine branches as he picked his way in. The campfire burned low. Hooter sat still on a low branch, and even the wind seemed not to make a sound. Driz looked to Gwenhyber for some explanation, but the panther only sat by the fire, somber and still. Dread is a strange emotion, a culmination of two subtle clues that brings as much confusion as fear. Mushi? Driz called softly, approaching the old ranger's den. He pushed aside the blanket and used it to screen the light from the embers of the dying campfire, letting his eyes slip into the infrared spectrum. He remained there for a very long time, watching the last wisps of heat depart from the ranger's body. But if Mushi was cold, his contented smile emanated warmth. Drizzt fought back many tears over the next few days, but whenever he remembered that last smile, the final peace that had come over the aged man, he reminded himself that the tears were of his own loss and not for Mushi. Drizzt buried the ranger in a cairn beside the grove, then spent the winter quietly tending to his daily chores and wondering. Hooter came by less and less frequently, and on one occasion the departing look Hooter cast to Drizzt told the drow beyond doubt that the owl would never return to the grove. In the spring, Drizzt came to understand Hooter's sentiments. For more than a decade he'd been searching for a home, and he had found one with Montalio. But with the ranger gone, the grove no longer seemed hospitable. This was Mushi's place, not Drizzt's. As I promised. Drizzt mumbled one morning. Montelio had asked him to consider his course carefully when the ranger was no more, and Drizzt now held to his word. He had become comfortable in the grove and was still accepted here, but the grove was no longer his home. His home was out there, he knew. Out in that wide world that Montelio had assured him was full of pain, but filled with joy as well. Driz packed a few items, practical supplies and some of the ranger's more interesting books, belted on his scimitars, and slung the longbow over his shoulder. Then he took a final walk around the grove, viewing one last time the rope bridges, the armory, the brandy barrel and trough, the tree where he had stopped the charging giant, the sheltered run where Mushi had made his stand. He called Gwenhyver, and the panther understood as soon as it arrived. They never looked back as they moved down the mountain trail toward the wide world of pains and joys. <laughs>